Now, if you're a regular listener to this podcast, you know that we talk about how to experience the abundant life that Christ died to give us now instead of waiting for the afterlife. And in order to do that, we explore the Word of God to learn just how that goal can be achieved. But what if there is a way to disregard at least some of God's Word and still live the abundance of life that Christ came to give us? How would you feel about that? Keep listening. Yeah, it sounds like a trick to me. Ain't never gonna happen. You know, you're smarter than you look. Thank you. Hi, I'm Randall Sims, and this is my podcast. Jesus, the Christ, at the cross of Calvary, purchased eternal life for you and for me. Life more abundant. That life has already begun, so why wait until the afterlife to live that life to the fullest? Welcome to the most impatient Christian podcast in the entire world. This is Christ Life Now. Marriage is a good thing, but it's not for nine and ten-year-olds. Amen? It is a good thing, but it's not usually for 13-year-olds. It's for someone who is mature enough to receive the blessing that is marriage. A driver's license. (laughs) It's a good thing. The permit to carry a firearm. It's a good thing. But you have to receive the training. Being able to go hunting, that's a great thing. But you need to know that you don't shoot at things in bright orange, right? Amen? Blessings are good, but they come to those who are mature enough to receive them. I want the good things that are coming. I want the blessings of God on my life, on the lives of every one of you. But we have to do the things that are necessary for us to get to the place where we can receive them. Amen? Remember the ark that Noah had? The famous ark, that was a blessing. It kept them out of the water, kept them dry. It first had to be built. It took years and years and years for it to be constructed. We don't have as much time left, I dare say, as it took to build that ark. But we can build what God has given us the time to build. And it starts, I believe, with learning to love one another. We're going to be reading mainly from two chapters today. The first is Matthew chapter 10, and the other is Isaiah chapter 50. Starting with Matthew chapter 10, in verse 32, it tells us, Jesus speaking, Whoever acknowledges me, Jesus, before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whosoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. If you acknowledge him before others, he will acknowledge you before his Father. If you disown him before others, he will disown you before his Father. That's pretty cut and dry. How we present Jesus. Get this. This is one of those key notes for the sermon. How we present Jesus to the world is how Jesus presents us to his Father. Can you wrap your mind around that? We deny him before them, we get denied before the Father. When we admit him, when we own him before the world, he owns us before his Father. I think if we can really, really think about that, that can make a difference in the way that we live our lives. If we're not careful, it might alter us. It might, it might cause us to, to think about things a little bit differently. 
I hope that I could speak for, for all of us when I say this. I know I can speak for myself. I do not want to be presented to God as someone who's half-hearted. Do you? I don't want to be presented to someone as someone who is lukewarm. The scripture tells us in another place to be hot or cold. That's how God would prefer it, but not lukewarm, not room temperature, because then we will get spewn out of his mouth. I don't want to be presented before God as someone who is ashamed. I don't want to be presented as, as someone who is confounded or unsure or confused. Those who are presented before God as being confounded, confused, or taken off the task that God has given us are not worthy of the kingdom of God. Have you been called to serve the Lord with most of your heart and your mind and your soul? Have you been called to serve the Lord with with most of what is within you? What does the scripture tell us? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. We don't need to be workmen or workwomen who are presented ashamed. God's given us a task to do. It's very simple. Love our neighbor as ourself and love God with all our heart, mind, and soul, all that is within us. What if Jesus presented us to the Father as mediocre? How hurtful, how shameful, how awful would that be? What if we could have the realization this morning that it is our duty and our call to love Jesus like Jesus loved us. Now, you might be tempted to think that's not possible. Jesus was God. Amen. He was and is God made flesh. However, the key part comes in there when I say made flesh. Jesus was fully God, but at the same time, Jesus was fully man. Remember, he didn't come in the form of a spirit to die on the cross for us. It wasn't an idea of Jesus. It wasn't just a movement. He came in the flesh and died for us. And how much did he love us? He loved us so much. We know the story. He laid down his life for us. So wouldn't it follow that loving him with all of our heart and mind and soul, all that is within us, would involve the willingness to lay down our life for him? Well, I can't say that I was always at the point where I was literally willing to lay down my physical life for the sake of the cross. I believe in more recent years, as I've, as I've gotten older, as we tend to do, I believe I've reached the point where if that's what it takes, then okay, come and get me. I prefer beheading to burning at the stake. But come and get me. If, if that's what's needed, if that's the calling God has put on my life, then let it be. Now, I, I would say that most of the time, for most of us, at least in this current era, Laying down our life is not going to involve going to the cross or going to the, the pot of boiling oil or being beheaded most of the time, or at least for a couple of centuries, it really hasn't involved. That has it. But for the most part, it has involved a living sacrifice, saying, Lord, whatever the cost, whatever, whatever it is that you have planned for my life, that's what I'm willing to do. Take my life, a living sacrifice. So if you've not reached the point... And, you know, I admit I've not been faced with that. Who knows how I, would, how I would actually react if someone came into this building today and said, denounce Christ or, or we're going to kill you. I, I want to believe and I, and I believe that I would stand up strong and I would say I will not renounce my Savior. But we don't truly know until we've been faced with that, do we? But let me just tell you, if we can't even lay down our lives as a living sacrifice, 
then we can be fairly certain that we wouldn't be willing to lay down our lives as an actual sacrifice, as an actual martyr for Christ. Doesn't that make sense? So first things first, let's first get to the point of maturity where we're willing to say, Lord, whatever it is that you will for us, whatever your plan is for my life, that's what I'll do. God, if it's, if it's for me to preach the gospel, then I'll do it. God, if it's for me to talk to my neighbor or the lady at the supermarket, God, I'll do it. We lay down our lives as a living sacrifice. Nothing about what Jesus did at Calvary was half-hearted, was it? We didn't hear tale of Jesus fighting the soldiers, trying to get away. In fact, right before he was taken, Peter cut off a guard's ear. He was going to be bold and brave and doing what he believed God was calling him to do. And, and he cut off the ear of a guard who came to get Jesus in the garden. And what did Jesus do? Go, Peter! Get the other ear! He picked the ear up, put it back on the man's head, and healed it. Jesus wasn't looking forward to going to the cross, but he knew it was God's plan for him. Jesus didn't fight the soldiers as they came to take him. Jesus didn't call 10,000 angels to deliver him from that pain, from the agony. He gave his all. So shouldn't we give our all? Shouldn't we be mature enough to give our all? Let's go to Isaiah chapter 50 and get a better idea. Verses 5 through 7. As you may know, this is the Old Testament, and Isaiah is speaking prophetically here as the Savior, as the Messiah, who we know to be Jesus. Messiah had not come, obviously, at this time, but there were many, many prophecies of the Messiah in the Bible, and Jesus fulfilled every one of them. The Lord God has opened my ear, the Messiah is saying, and I have not been rebellious or turned backward. Jesus did not rebel against what was happening. They did not take his life. He gave it willingly. He did not go back down the hill. He did not run or try to hide. Verse 6 said, I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to those who plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. How many times do we cringe at becoming the slightest bit uncomfortable for the sake of the gospel? How many times do we cringe at making someone in the workplace feel a little bit awkward because we know they're a heathen and we, we want to say amen or thank God that he kept me safe today? How many times do we do that? Now, maybe we don't do it at all. Maybe we're blessed to, to work somewhere or have family members or neighbors who are perfectly okay with us being who we are in Christ. On social media sometimes, we tend to see things dumbed down a little bit because we don't want to rattle the world around us. Is that love? Do you know the, the love chapter in 1 Corinthians? It says what love is. It says love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. A lot of things that love is, it rejoices in the truth though. You know what that tells us? One of the things that love isn't, love isn't compromise. Love is patient, love is kind, love is not rude, but love is not compromising the truth. What truth? Not your truth necessarily, but the truth of the gospel. The truth of what Jesus called us to do. The truth of where the Holy Spirit is leading us. Love does not compromise. We think about where the kingdom of God is now and then go back just a few decades, even in this country, to 
what was happening in the kingdom and where the, where the kingdom was spiritually at those points. Now, in many ways, we've come a long way, haven't we? In many ways, we've come out of legalism. We've learned to embrace more grace, and we've definitely, through the onset of the internet and increased media, we've learned to delve into some of the deeper meanings of the word. Those are good things, but think about some of the compromises that have been made. It would have been unfathomable when my parents were children, and that wasn't that long ago, for them to ordain priests or ministers in congregations who were living in outright sin. And now it's not only allowed, but it's celebrated very often. What's going to happen if it keeps going in this direction? The things that we now would find absurd were we to hear that a church were allowing them in a couple of generations, if things continue on this path, they'll be allowed and they'll be celebrated. The so-called church has learned to compromise. There used to be standards of conduct and morality, and I'm not talking about man-made legalism. It's so good that we came out of that, but I'm talking about morality, being chaste, being pure. It was only a a generation ago that, at least in the kingdom of God, it was still scandalous to compromise and have sex outside of marriage, outside of wedlock. And now it's just mundane. It's so rare that, that anyone, any even couple who claims Christ as their savior makes it to, to marriage without having compromised that. Just a few years ago, when I was a kid and we would go to the beach and we would often drive and drive and drive for, <laughs> for what seemed like an eternity to find a part that was private because we, we were modest and we didn't want to go into a place that was going to be filled with people who were mostly naked. That may sound legalistic, but y'all, there was a set of expectations and standards and and I'm not talking about things that you do because a pastor or an organization says, thou shalt not, we're going to add this to the scripture. I'm talking about the things that you do because you don't want to risk offending the Holy Spirit, okay? Now, this generation goes to the beach wearing string bikinis, and I'm talking about kids from the church, posting the pictures on Facebook. I'm not. I assure you, I'm not being legalistic. I'm saying that they do this because, first of all, if they care, if they care what the Holy Spirit expects of them, they're not finding a scripture in the Bible that says, thou shalt not expose everything except what the tassels cover. <laughs> thou shalt not, right? So that, my friend, is legalism. When you take your walk with God and you say, what can I get away with? If I can't find a scripture that specifically forbids it, then I can do it. You talk about coming out of legalism, that is legalism. It's just approaching it from a different angle. When we start listening to music, and, or it's hard to find any kind of non-Christian music that's completely wholesome, but when we start listening to music and watching movies, I know because I'll spend hours going through Netflix trying to find something, and then I find myself all too often compromising and, and finding something that only has one or two bad words in it. And then sometimes I'll start a movie and I never finish it because it's like, you've got to be kidding me. Is that the only word in the English, English language that they know how to use? It's just not worth it. It's just not worth having it in my living room. Are we doing this thing halfway, folks? Or are we going to be mature? Not doing something, not 
taking part in something just because we can. There was a day when a word to the wise was sufficient. Nowadays, I sound so old, don't I? Nowadays, (laughs) these young whippersnappers, nowadays, if your pastor tells you something that you shouldn't do, instead of a word to the wise being sufficient, people in general prove themselves unwise and they go to the next pastor who tells them, ah, that's okay. That's legalism. Nah, don't worry about that. Do whatever you want with whoever you want, however you want, whenever you want. That's fine. Grace, grace, grace. (laughs) Nowadays, if the second pastor doesn't tell you what you want to hear, you go to an uncle or a cousin or a grandma or somebody who will tell you what you want to hear. And it's all right. It seems all right. It's truly not all right. It's not maturity. Are y'all understanding what I'm talking about legalism? Legalism, what we refer to generally as legalism is saying, is saying the Bible doesn't say that you can't do this, this, and this, but we think that you shouldn't because it's wise not to. We, and then as we've matured, as we've become more enlightened, or so we think, we started doing those things, some of them, because we learned, well, it's not, really, it's not really wrong. Like I was taught when I was a kid that you don't go to ball games because it's a worldly event. And that was truly legal, legalistic. I mean, it truly was because, I mean, unless they're, you know, <laughs> nude ball games or whatever, you know, it, it's, or, or something terrible. It, that's probably okay, right? Unless there's debauchery and sin and awful things happening there. It's probably not a bad thing. I was taught that you don't go to even G-rated movies because they'll take the money and they'll make R-rated movies with it. You know, that's... That's legalism, but saying, I'm looking through the Bible, and it doesn't say anywhere that I can't go to movies, so I'm going to go to all the X-rated movies that I can find. You see, that's just reverse legalism. Do you understand what I'm saying this morning? Okay, I'm not trying to bring us back into unnecessary bondage. I'm trying to say that we need to be free from the bondage of falsehoods, from the bondage of compromise, all right? Are you with me? Okay. Going back to Isaiah, back to verse 6, it says, I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to those who plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. And then verse 7, Isaiah 50 and 7 says, For the Lord God helps me, the Messiah Jesus is saying, Therefore have I not been ashamed or confounded. Therefore have I set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. So the sermon title this morning is Face Like a Flint. What does that mean? What does it mean to set your face like a flint? Well, let's approach it, first of all, not from what how we should love Jesus like he loved us, but how Jesus was, was prophetically loving right here. He set his face like a flint as he headed towards, as he looked towards, as he went to the cross, as he died on the cross, he had his face set like a flint. What is flint? Well, even in our modern language, we know what flint is. It's a, a hard stone, isn't it? It's a hard stone, an uncompromising kind of stone. To set your face like a flint means to harden your jaw, to harden your jaw, to grit your teeth, to furrow your brow, to harden your face. It means, friends, to be determined. It means to not be compromised, to not be compromising. And just as Jesus was uncompromising, as he wasn't wishy-washy, as he went proudfully, lovingly, unashamedly to the cross of Calvary for us, we should set our faces like a flint when it comes to living for God, 
Be determined. Be, be determined. We should not be compromising. We should not be trying to figure out what we can get away with. We should realize that we have a call to maturity. Setting our face like a flint and never looking back. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. We become preoccupied with things like the prosperity gospel. God doesn't want us to be homeless and helpless and and poor. I believe those things are true. I believe that that's part of the gospel. Jesus came to preach the gospel and he told us to preach the gospel. In one place he specifically says to the to the who? The poor. What do the poor need? They need food and they need resources, don't they? So true enough, God wants us to be blessed in every good way. I believe that. But I know ministers and churches and ministries who become preoccupied with that. And that's all that they seem to think about or talk about is money, money, money. The goodness of God is not so much that he died for our sins or our transgressions, but that he died so that I can have a large stuffed bank account. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. There's more to the gospel, y'all. There's more to the gospel than that. There's more to the gospel than the prosperity, and there's more to the, that old-fashioned stuff that we used to throw into the gospel about blessed are the meek and the poor and the lowly and the, the, those who are in poverty and can barely pay their light bill, you know? That's not right at all. We compromise and we become preoccupied with, with these things. On the cross, he was doing what? Setting his face like a flint. It says he was not confounded. You know what confounded means? It means, means confused or ashamed. We know he was not ashamed and he was not confused. He was not in a in a quandary about why he was doing what he was doing. And neither should we be in a quandary or in confusion as to why we are doing what we're doing. It's not about the material blessings. Those are just an awesome side effect of serving God, of fulfilling the call that God has on us uncompromisingly. It's not about all of those other kinds of compromises like, like status. You know, that there are, there are places in churches that are filled with people who come to church because of the politics of the church. I hate politics so much I just can't imagine even wanting to <laughs> wanting to do that. They come to church because there's this sense of control. Look who I am. I get to sit on the platform behind the minister when he preaches. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Look who I am. I'm I'm on the, the elders committee or I'm on the board. And, and those things are good. Don't get me wrong. Those are good things to have. But that's not what we're called to do, not to attain status here on earth. All the castles that we build, all the kingdoms that we construct are just, they're on sinking sand. The only kingdom that we need to be concerned with is building the kingdom of God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Everything else will fall into place. Am I making sense this morning? Oh, God gave me this message and this word, and I struggled so much with how to present it, and I hope that it's coming through at least mostly how, how God has given it to me. Sometimes between God having a word that he gives me and me giving it to you, I feel like my, my brain gets it jumbled, and I don't present it like God wanted me to present it, but I hope that at least part of it is coming through. What's the key today? It's that we are to be determined. 
setting our face like a flint. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather have Jesus than have treasures untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or land. I'd rather be held by his nail-scarred hand than to be the king of a vast domain and be held by sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. How about you? Do you feel called to maturity? Do you receive this word today? Do you feel like maybe something has been opened up and you can say, I'm not a backslider, I'm not a heathen, but I see some places where I have been walking in compromise, where I haven't been standing up and saying, my face is like a flint. I am walking and I am talking and I am living 100% in the truth of the word. That's what we're called to do. Amen? There are many ideas and, and ideals and things that people throw out there that sound good when they're first spoken. I read a meme on, uh, on Facebook this morning that said, Bible-based Christianity is not over in America. And I thought, well, that's good. That's true. And I agree with it 100%. And then it occurred to me how awful that Christianity for so many is no longer Bible-based Christianity. There are a lot of ideas and things that I could throw out there or anyone could throw out there that sound good, teachings and doctrine and, and again, ideas. But the problem is the Bible. We don't get to choose. Our opinion, once we become believers in Christ Jesus, our opinions become largely irrelevant except to the degree that they line up with his word, with the word of truth. I'm gonna say it long. I'm going to say it loud. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believeth. There ain't no other way to get to God. You will hear them say on the media, I believe there are many paths, but there aren't. You either believe what the Bible says, that Jesus is the only way to get to God, or you don't. Christianity is not a compromising kind of thing. Love is patient, yes. Love is kind, and love isn't rude. But love is not holding the hand of someone in sin and saying, you're okay. Do you agree? I hope you do, because it's the truth of the word. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You, too, could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18-plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.